All right, so this morning uh, I want to remind us at the beginning of uh, a couple of weeks ago, and maybe uh, you don't want to be reminded, but a couple of weeks ago maybe you remember that uh, I uh, did a message on sin and the power of sin and uh, walked through this reality that we need to come to understand our own depravity, like that we are sinful beings, that we, uh, you know, that you know, human, humanity is not natural. And, and intrinsically good. Humanity is intrinsically and naturally bad. Like we are rebellious people. And, uh, and so coming into that reality, but the hope of that message a couple of weeks ago was that we do have a redeemer. Amen. As we've prayed about, as we've worshiped uh, again this morning, this reality that uh, praise the Lord, we're not stuck in our sin, that we don't have to uh, face the consequences, the, the just consequences of those sins, but we have someone who came, lived among us for several years, and then went to the cross, dying for our sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us, right? Amen. Hallelujah. One of the things that in that message that I kind of touched on but really didn't get into is basically the key to the redemption that we all desire and long for. And the key is simply forgiveness. Without forgiveness, we cannot experience redemption. It is forgiveness is that key that, that allows us to go from people who are sinful and, 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 and depraved and rightly going to spend eternity in separation from all that is good to being redeemed and finding that our life, even our sin, can be transformed into something beautiful by our great Redeemer, Jesus. It's forgiveness. It's forgiveness that Jesus offers and it's forgiveness that Jesus calls us to offer as well. And so this morning, we're going to take some time in our Genesis chapter 42 to 46, where we see this reality of forgiveness expressed. And it's actually expressed in a couple of different ways. One's a bad example, and one's a good example. The bad example, of course, is Joseph's brothers, who we will see uh, still were struggling with the guilt of their previous sin against Joseph. They had not experienced forgiveness yet, and we see this wrestling match that continues as the shame has obviously weighed them down. The other example that we get in these chapters is Joseph, who although uh, uh, deeply hurt by his brothers, has obviously forgiven them. I mean, it's just amazing to see that this, this man who had been so deeply hurt, sold into slavery, spent time in prison, could somehow have let it all go, have actually forgiven his brothers. But we'll see that in our passage today. So let's jump in and read. We're just going to read chapter 42 of Genesis that kind of gives us the, the biggest highlight here, or the, the biggest uh, kind of piece of the story and, uh, and uh, I'll kind of allude to the other chapters throughout. So let's read chapter 42 of Genesis. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there. There we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin... Joseph's brother with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. 
Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land, and Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. He said to them, no, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, we, your servants, are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with your father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, it is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring, back, bring your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you. Or else, by the life of Pharaoh, surely you're spy, you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody, and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine to your households, and bring your youngest brother to me. So your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And, and they did so. Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother." in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them, and he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. He said to his brothers, my money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this, their hearts failed them. And they returned, trembling to one another, saying, what is this that God has done to us? When they came to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, the man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us as spies of the land. But we said to him, we are honest men. We have never been spies. We are 12 brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, by this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine of your households and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me. Then I shall know that you are not spies, but honest men, and I will deliver your brother to you, and you shall trade in the land." As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they, ha- they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were afraid. 
And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. But he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. <laughs> we start here with the brothers. Joseph's brothers are obviously still filled with guilt and shame, right? I mean, here they are. They come down. They're going to buy some grain so that they can survive the famine. The leader of the, of the Egyptians, Pharaoh, Joseph, speaks harshly to them and starts to say, no, 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 yeah, I think you guys are spies. And what do they assume? What is their immediate response to that? How do they, like, what do they think is going on? If they think, oh, man, this guy's just kind of mean. This guy's just, man, he's kind of, I don't know what his deal is. I mean, come on. I mean, we're not spy, whatever, right? What's their response? Their response is, oh, my gosh, this is God's punishment against us for our sin. Now, understand, this has been 20 years from that fateful day when they sold Joseph into slavery. 20 years later, and what is still forefront in their mind? <laughs> their sin and the guilt and the shame that has overcome them. They have not experienced forgiveness. They have not dealt with it. They are still struggling and fighting against this reality that they are sinners and that they have hurt their brother and they are constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop. This is the life they live. And even look at note as well how they respond to the blessing. Joseph returned the money into their bags, not as a form of judgment, but as a blessing. But they open up their sacks, they see the money, and what do they assume? Oh my gosh, we're done. If the money is back in the bag, we're going to, the idea here is I think that they realize like the guilt has so torn them up that even blessing cannot be received with joy because they know they don't deserve it. And so if they're getting any kind of blessing, it must be some kind of setup. Notice how they blame God. What are you doing to us, God? How dare you? Reminds me of the verse in the New Testament, heaping coals on your enemies by loving them, right? The good thing that comes, they go, wait a second, no, this shouldn't be right. We should be receiving judgment. This is the reality, I think, of guilt. When we have sinned, we feel guilt. You know, I think our world kind of gives guilt a little bit of a bad name. You know, generally guilt is seen as like bad and only bad and there's no good in it. But actually guilt is a gift. Guilt is a gift from God that's meant to uh, uh, kind of reveal to us our sin. It's meant to actually motivate repentance and change. 
You know, the idea that when you say, I remember when I was a kid, uh, my sister, you know, the, I, won't, I won't call her the evil one again, because, you know, people, some people don't like it. They don't get that, right? That's okay. But anyway, my sister, I remember when I was like, I don't know, maybe 12 years old, 13 years old. I was too old to be her doing this. But anyway, she's like on me, and she's like pinned me down again in the basement, and she's, you know, you know blowing in my face or whatever she's doing, right? You know, just being a jerk again. And so, like, I like squirming out, and I like, woof, and I punched her right in the chin, right? Oh my gosh, immediately like, ah, even though she was being so mean to me, I realized like I had crossed this line, like that was not cool, right? I just punched my sister, right? And so immediately filled with guilt, guilt is a good thing, that we would be filled with guilt when we sin. I think, you know, this is the challenge, I think, people that push down guilt over and over again and try to, uh, try to justify their actions, try to justify their sin, try to, you know, make it look like, no, it wasn't really bad or whatever. I think people that do that, we need to be really recognize the danger of that, that eventually we will, we will uh, not have a conscience. We won't be able to hear the Holy Spirit's voice saying, hey, what you just did was wrong and sinful, and you need to repent and deal with this. So guilt is a gift from God that is meant to motivate our repentance. But guilt can be a problem. Because, see, when guilt doesn't motivate our repentance, when we don't give in to guilt's gift of repentance, when we continue to push it off and make excuses, then guilt begins to weigh, weigh on us. And hold us down. We begin to deal with shame. Fear begins to creep up in our life. I mean, have you ever done a sin? Maybe a big sin? A, a thing that like, man, you know, like this is, this is not cool. And you never have repented about it. And it just sits there hovering over you all of your days. Have you ever experienced that walk through life where you're constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop or something to happen and they find out? This is guilt. When we don't repent, it will, it will, it will bind us. It will control us. It will ruin our relationships. It will destroy our connection to Jesus. But if we give in, if we repent, if we admit our wrong, there's opportunity for us to enjoy being forgiven. It's opportunity for us to enjoy the amazing worship that comes from that when you recognize, yes, I've sinned, yes, I've repented, and oh, my Lord, you have forgiven me. To know that you have been forgiven, this changes everything. You know, the reality is when we hang on to guilt, all it does is con sin continues to control us, continues to destroy relationships, continues to destroy our soul. But if we repent of our sin and experience the forgiveness of Jesus, all of that is let go. We no longer have to try to spend the rest of our life making up for the sin that we've caused or we've done, the pain that we've caused. We can, we can walk in freedom knowing that it's been forgiven, it's been taken care of, it's been paid for by Jesus, and now I can walk, walk in life. Those of us who are, are, are filled with guilt struggle to show up on Sunday mornings, struggle to get on our knees before Jesus, 
because our guilt causes us to not want to face our God. We're afraid, afraid that he's going to strike us down. How dare we go to God and pray, right? We might pray in a, in a group, but no, I'm not praying by myself. I'm not praying one-on-one with Jesus. That's too much attention. He might see my sin. I know he knows my sin, and so he's going to bring it out. But when we have been forgiven, once again, we can enter the throne room of God and worship, proclaim his praises without fear, knowing that we're standing there, not because we're perfect, but because he's forgiven us out of his amazing grace and our willing repentance. We can enjoy the opportunity to live freely. We don't have to walk around or crawl around, if you will, in shame. Yes, we will fail again. But the more times we recognize that we're forgiven, the more times we repent and experience forgiveness, the more we realize that our sin can be dealt with. Like, Jesus is okay with that. Like, it's not, it's not going to separate us from God. And it doesn't even have to separate us from each other. Now, Joseph, on the other hand, is a little bit different. Joseph was not the one who sinned. Now, it's not that he was perfect. No, we kind of talked about that a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about sin. Joseph sinned. He did sin as well, right? There were issues there. But what we see here in these chapters, especially in 42, is the reality that Joseph has already forgiven his brothers before they show up. Wait a second. We go like, how? Like, how could Joseph have forgiven his brothers? Like, they have never come and they never repented. They never made any effort to come and actually buy him out of slavery. You ever think about that? Like, he's been in, he, he was gone for, this has been 20 years. Where have his brothers been? I mean, why did their guilt never motivate them to go try to find their brother? Right? Think about that, right? I mean, so Joseph has not experienced any kind of confession from his brothers. He doesn't know that they're, they're remorseful of, in, at, in any way. Even in the, in the passage before us now, even though they feel bad, they feel bad because they're afraid of judgment. It's the judgment piece that makes them feel bad, right? That's the motivation of their guilt in the moment, right? It's like they, oh, I knew we shouldn't have done this, right? He hears them share this, like, and they're not, there's no confession in it. There's an admission that, yeah, that was wrong, but there's still no confession. And yet, Joseph has forgiven them. Matter of fact, I, I, I think Joseph had to have forgiven them a long, long time ago. Because honestly, I don't know how he would have been able to be the manager that he was in Potiphar's house or to care for the prisoners like he cared for them or be the leader that he's being now if he had not dealt with that sin. Because, see, if we don't deal with sin, other people's sin, it leads to bitterness. Right? We know this. It leads to bitterness. Our hearts begin to get harder and harder over time. Our accusations of those who have hurt us or those who may hurt us become more and more obvious. And we share more and more, we become more creative, creative, right? Like we come up with all these kind of things of trying to figure out, you know, how's going to hurt me next? Is this reality that, that Joseph has escaped the bitterness because he's forgiven? 
We see the weeping at his brother's response. He would not have been weeping about his brothers and their concern for judgment if he hadn't have already forgiven them. What would he have done? What would you have done, right? Oh, serves them right. It's about time they feel a little guilt about what they did. Oh my gosh, yes, sir. Matter of fact, I'm, I got the power. I'm going to make you guys pay for this. Sometimes they look at this passage. Scholars will look at this passage and think this is Joseph's attitude. That Joseph is actually, you know, trying to get retribution to his brothers here. This is not what is happening. Joseph, he wouldn't be weeping about his brothers if he had bitterness in his heart towards them. He would be thinking they're getting exactly what they deserve. And I get the privilege of, you know, laying out that judgment. But I think Joseph also gives us another example of forgiveness. See, sometimes we can think, and it's been kind of this perspectives out there, that forgiveness is the same thing as reconciliation. But it's not. Forgiveness is certainly part of the process of reconciliation, but it doesn't equal reconciliation. You know, a lot of times we're, we're, we're encouraged to forgive because, you know, well, we need to restore a relationship. That forgiveness, the definition of, of forgiveness is about, you know, restoration of that relationship. That, that we are going to give up that sin. We're going to let go of that sin so that we can somehow, you know, kind of restore that relationship. No, this is not forgiveness. Matter of fact, I'm going to read that. I felt like the Lord maybe kind of gave this. You can check to see if this is from the Lord or not. But this morning as I was praying, it's not in my notes. But it just was down in the prayer trail. Forgiveness, uh, I feel like the Lord told me this morning, is, is a willful admission of our own sinfulness. It's a surrender to the perfect justice of Jesus. And it's a commitment to act and speak in love toward the one who's offended us. A willful admission of our own sinfulness. See, forgiveness isn't about reconciliation. It's first and foremost, forgiveness is about the recognition that we are depraved as well. That we are in just as much need of sin, of forgiveness, as they are. You know, this is, I think, why Jesus, a couple of times, uh, you know, in the Lord's Prayer, right? You know, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who, forgive, uh, uh, you know, hurt us, right? De our debtors, right? Why is it based on this reality that, uh, you know, my forgiveness is based on how I forgive others? It's actually the other way around. The reality is that when we understand that we've been forgiven, how can we not forgive someone else? And so forgiveness is first and foremost in my mind here, and just as the Spirit has laid this on me, as a willful admission of our own sinfulness first. Second, it's a surrender to the perfect justice of Jesus. See, oftentimes we think that because we're the ones offended, we're the ones that get to decide what the judgment is, what the punishment is. We are not judge and jury. On the, in the end days, when the wrath is poured out, it is not our wrath that is poured out. It is God's wrath. And so who are we to be the one who is punishing those who have offended against us? Right? That is Jesus' job. And so forgiveness, I think, is this piece, second piece. We need to surrender to the perfect justice of Jesus. 
Trusting that he is just, that he will bring punishment. Matter of fact, all sin, Scripture tells us, have al- has already been punished by Jesus. It's been placed on the cross on Jesus. He's paid the price for all of sin. Now, whether or not they enjoy that gift is up to their repentance, right? And then third, I think, Forgiveness is about this reality, this commitment to act and speak in love toward the one who offended us. That we would actually want what's best for them. That we would pray positive things over them, love over them. And it's a commitment. It's not that we're going to be perfect at that. Right? There's this reality that it can be, it can be hard for a little while when someone's really hurt us. We might need some space and that's okay. But we make the commitment. When we forgive them, we're making the commitment. Okay, from now on, I'm going to do what I can to love you. So I think that's forgiveness. When we understand forgiveness like that, then we realize that, you know, okay, this is something that we need to offer people. But it doesn't mean that we're going to be back in the same relationship as we were before. This is Joseph's testing of his brothers. He's not testing them to try to get them to earn his forgiveness. He's testing them to see, okay, is there an opportunity for our relationship to be restored? Do they feel bad about what they did? Have they changed? Have they got a different perspective? So so the test of them bringing their younger brother, the favored, again, favored younger brother, in chapter 43 or 44, when they have the meal, right? They, they, he gives, uh, he gives uh, uh, Benjamin all this extra food. So his brothers are all sitting there, and he, he like in this meal, is like, Joseph's like, watch this. I'm going to give him all, Benjamin, all this extra food. The others are going to get kind of just scraps, but he's going to get all this stuff. Like, it's going to be awesome. Let's see how they respond. Have they learned their lesson, or are they still jealous brothers? Striving for, conniving for, trying to get, you know, their due. So what Joseph is doing here is he's giving us an example again that when someone offends us, someone hurts us, someone sins against us, forgiveness doesn't mean that we just jump right back into that relationship. Sometimes, depending on the depth of the sin, that relationship may never be fully restored. But the hope is that it will. But that's only when proper repentance, proper change has happened and proper forgiveness has been given. Another interesting piece on here, you know, as guilt is a gift, I think anger is a gift as well. Again, anger can get a, get a bad rap, I think, in church, right? You know, you always want to throw the word righteous before it. You know, righteous anger, right? You know, and, and there's something to be said for that, right? But, you know, anger is this, actually it's a gift, I think, from God as well. When we've been sinned against or we see someone else, I mean, think about some of the stuff we see on the news. When we see some of the evil that's being perpetrated on other people, uh, we can just go, wow, like that is like really bad. And we can get really angry about it. Like that is so sinful. That's so evil. And when someone hurts us, like, no, this is not right. And so anger is a gift to help uh, us know what is right and wrong, to even to admit that there is a right and a wrong. Now, that doesn't mean that every time we get angry, it's because we've been wronged, right? I, I think there's this tension, right, that we as human, sinful human beings have to, have to eventually kind of understand that our anger isn't always righteous anger. 
But the anger is a gift because the anger is actually meant to motivate us. Motivate us to stand up for right and wrong. Stand up for righteousness. When we see evil perpetrated against others, we want to stand in that and gap and say, no, this is not right. We're going to fight against evil. And that's what anger is supposed to do. However, if we hang on to anger, if we don't eventually allow that forgiveness to work through our heart and to offer that even to the most evil and the, most, uh, uh, the biggest enemy in our life, then that anger will create something else, bitterness. Bitterness will destroy all relationships, not just the one with the one that's hurt us. Bitterness will cause us to, to actually begin to judge God. God, where are you? Why have you not judged this person? Why have you not punished them for what they've done to me? God, well, who are you? What are you? Where are you at? What's going on? I thought you were a just God. This is totally wrong. Why have you not stepped in? You get critical of God. But we can also get really critical of other people, unwilling to trust anyone else. That person that sinned against me, you might be that person this time. And if we haven't dealt with anger, if we haven't forgiven that, previous, that person of their sin, we will carry that with us into all other relationships. And we'll struggle to trust, struggle to actually enjoy giving forgiveness. When we enjoy giving relationships, we get to live freely. Free from bitterness. Free from any kind of sense of trying to get revenge. Right? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, right? So we don't have to live trying to figure out, okay, how am I going to get this person back for what they did to me? <laughs> we can live in freedom. Free from that. Free from the bitterness and the anger and the frustration. Free from the revenge. Free to just live free to trust. We can engage in new relationships without, you know, that fear of, oh my gosh, well, maybe there'll be a little bit of fear there, you know, concern, like, oh, is somebody else going to hurt me? But not allowing that to dictate how we interact with this new person. We engage and trust in new relationships. We're able to, once again, enter the throne room of Jesus without accusation, but with just worship and love and appreciation for his amazing forgiveness of me. And it also frees us to bless. <laughs> There's no way that Joseph puts the money back in the sack of his brothers if he's filled with bitterness. He blesses his brothers. He wants to pass on the blessings he's received because he's already forgiven them. It's done. And when you've forgiven the one who has hurt you, you're free to bless them, to love on them, to care for them, to reach out to them. That's enjoying giving forgiveness. All right, worship team, why don't you come on up? Is your life filled with guilt and shame? Is there a past sin, or maybe it's a repetitive sin that continues to haunt you, that fills your heart and your mind and your life with guilt? 
Now, if you haven't repented for that sin, that's the first step. Stop excusing it. Stop trying to play it off. Stop trying to think, oh, maybe nobody will notice. Jesus notices. So if you haven't repented for that sin, first repent. But if you've already repented for that sin and you repented for it a bunch of times and you're still filled with guilt, you need to know. The guilt is no longer yours. That's the enemy whispering in your ear, trying to hold you back. If Jesus sets us free, we are indeed free. Amen? The other question, has somebody hurt you? Maybe it was years ago, decades maybe. Maybe it was yesterday. Are you filled with bitterness? Do you find it hard to engage in new relationships? Do you find the, 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 the things that happen in relationship today keeps reminding you of that pain and that sorrow from before? When that person's name comes up into your mind or a similar situation and you automatically go back and think about that? Chances are you've got some forgiving to do. Forgive. Remember, it's a willful admission of our own sinfulness. We're not saying what they did is not sin. We're saying that I'm a sinner too. Surrender to the perfect justice of Jesus. Trust that Jesus will make it right, whether you see it or not. And then committing to act and speak, and I would even say maybe I need to add to this, think in love toward the one who offended you. It's forgiveness that will break the bonds of guilt and bitterness. And once we've experienced that break from guilt and bitterness, (laughs) then we are opening up the door to the full redemption that Jesus has for us, where he will transform that painful relationship into something beautiful, where he will transform our sinfulness into something beautiful. All right. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your amazing grace. Your spirit stirred as I stepped down with the word grace. Lord, maybe some of us are in here filled with bitterness. And the tendency could be to walk away and feel guilty about the bitterness. Some of us may be filled with guilt and walk away just feeling more shame. And Lord, uh, no. You are a God who's filled with grace. And you love us just as we are. Lord, it's a process that we all need to walk through and to learn this, this sanctification reality. So Lord, I pray that you would remove condemnation.
restore, replace it with love. Because, Lord, you, you call us to live rightly, not because of a threat of punishment, but because of an offer of, gra of grace and love. So, Lord, motivate all of us with that love. And help us to respond, I think, like Joseph did in Genesis 45. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out for me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. In Jesus' name. Church, if you'd like prayer this morning, encourage you, please come forward. Don't leave without it. If you're feeling like, I need prayer this morning for this, then come and receive prayer. The rest of you, God bless. Have a great day.